0: Great, so a big welcome to our live audience for coming to this episode of Digital Health Investor Talk. Today's topic is Regime Change, the New Fundraising Environment and Outlook for 2023. I'm your host, Stephen Wardell. I'm the managing partner of Wardell Advisors, a digital health advisory firm, and the author of The Future of Digital Health. Wardell Advisors is helping digital health companies address issues around growth, fundraising, and strategic alternatives. This show is being recorded as a podcast. This is not investment advice, and we are not investment advisors. Today's topic on regime change got its start when I heard from digital health CEOs that the fundraising environment got more challenging starting five quarters ago and has become increasingly difficult since. Also, that investors have money to invest, but many are temporarily sitting on the sidelines instead of putting it to work. As one company leader put it to me, lead investors aren't leading. So I put my meetings at investor conferences this fall and winter uh, to work, to talk with both investors and company leaders about what the current venture stage fundraising environment is like, what's driving it, and what the outlook is like for the next 12 months. First off, here's the format for this investor talk. I will be laying out views on the fundraising outlook for about 40 minutes. After that, I'll be taking call-ins from our audience. In order to do more than just listen, you need to register for an account on call-in. You could do that on the fly right now. To register, you can go to callin.com or you can register on the call-in social podcasting app uh, in your app store. The call-in platform works similarly to clubhouse rooms and Twitter spaces for a modern social audio experience. Once you've registered, you can press the website's call-in button to indicate that you'd like to speak up and join the discussion at the end. So I called this webinar regime change, and that's a term that I'm hearing from the tech sector. Uh, and uh, the digital health sector, in many ways, is following what the tech sector is going through. So to think about regime change, you have to think about what the old regime was and what the new regime is. So the old regime began with the global financial crisis in 2008 to 9, Uh And the Fed, to prevent a, a severe recession or depression, did a lot of quantitative easing as a result and this lowered interest rates and so we had a very positive business climate since the global financial crisis featuring low interest rates and low inflation and this created uh, what people are now calling a zero percent interest rate environment referring to just a very low risk-free rate um, for the whole country um, and this environment, in turn, led to an incredible amount in digital health of entry uh, of new companies entering digital health, new products being launched in digital health, new talent entering digital health, new capital entering, new investors entering, new consolidators uh, entering and that 's the environment we 've been living in for uh, for for quite a while um, and in this environment of low interest rates. Institutional investors and LPs wanted one thing more than anything else. They wanted growth, growth at all costs, even risky growth, such as earnings negative growth. And there's really only two growth sectors in the whole world, technology and healthcare. And digital health lies at the center of those two sectors and benefited from being at the center of those sectors. Um, uh, and... Uh, uh and for years, big institutions and investors were increasingly allocating greater amounts of capital toward venture capital and toward sectors like technology and healthcare. Um so the regime change of this webinar is that now we're seeing higher inflation. So we're seeing official CPI inflation numbers of eight to nine percent um, and uh pocketbook inflation felt by consumers probably higher than that. We're seeing a risk-free rate by the Fed of 4 to 5% and repeated uh, interest rate hikes uh, by the Fed. We're seeing a risk-off environment in the stock market where deals that seemed good in the stock market just a year or two ago, now the market doesn't like. Um, we're seeing the IPO window is, for tech and digital health is closed in the stock market. We're seeing a potential recession, and if we have that recession, it may be a stagflationary recession. And so we're, and we're seeing an uncertain future as well. The Fed is trying to beat inflation. It's battling to beat inflation. It's raising interest rates to beat inflation. And it's not clear how that battle is going to turn out. So that, that's the regime change that company leaders now need to raise money in. So in talking to many investors and company leaders, what I'm seeing out there is that for series C, crossover and IPO, 0 or nearly 0% of these deals that were getting done in 2021 are now getting done. For Series A and B, these deals are happening, but so far they're happening at a rate of about 40% of what was happening in 2021. Uh, And by the way, for Series C crossover and IPO, this has stopped because the IPO window um, is currently closed and we're we're waiting on uh, on the the IPO window window to open up again. Um, and then for seed, seed seems to be happening at about 80 to 90% of seed and angel investors seems to be happening at 80 to 90% of the rate in 2021. So that, that's what I heard from talking to company leaders and investors. And then also recently Rock Health came out with a report. And in their report, they found that venture funding for 2022, the year just ending, was down about 50%. From thirty billion to fifteen billion in twenty twenty two and it was worsening over the course of quarter by quarter um, and they were tentatively projecting that if you extend out the baseline of the last two quarters uh, then it'll be to the next four quarters then then uh, venture investment will be down a further one third from fifteen billion to ten billion in twenty twenty three so that's Generally, um, what, uh, that's, what, you know, that's what I'm hearing from CEOs. That's what, what Rock Health is projecting. So now I wanted to walk through what's going on in the lives of um, institutional investors and LPs and venture funds that's driving. At the level of institutional investors and LPs, they have become more risk averse in this environment. So sectors that feature high top line growth, maybe with some of the star companies. Being earnings negative, this is like tech and digital health. Um, these are suffering valuation multiple contraction in environments like this, uh, and uh, uh, investors are not. And so um, these big investors are allocating away from digital health for the first time in a long time, and away from venture capital, and away from the alternative investment category, and they're allocating toward defensive, toward sectors that do well in an environment of high inflation, high interest rates, and possibly a recession. So those would be things like defensive equities, which is consumer staples and utilities, Um, cash, bonds, commodities. Um, Those often perform better during environments like this. Uh, Today, with a risk-free rate at four to 5% and corporate bonds at 10%, um, corporate bonds are liquid and transparent. And by comparison, um, venture funds are illiquid and opaque. and if you're not one of the top quartile of funds, then those re- the returns on those venture funds are are, you know, well, the corporate bonds at 10% are looking competitive compared to lower ranking venture funds, um, all things considered. So that's what's happening with the institutional investors and LPs. Next you go to venture funds. So when you ask venture funds and you ask investors, you know, what's going on? Why the reduction in volume? Why is it? Why are CEOs saying that lead investors aren't leading? Venture funds are saying it's because of a current environment of uncertainty. There's uncertainty. There's uncertainty about how to price deals. You can't lead a deal unless you know how to price a deal. So private market valuations often reference public market valuations, which change every day. Uh, and... Uh, public market valuations for tech and digital health are down 50% or more. And VCs are saying that public market valuations haven't found the bottom yet. And so they're sitting on the sidelines, uncertain about how to price and waiting uh, for, their, for public market valuations to find the bottom. And they're looking for more information and more certainty from public markets. And that is related to that the Fed is battling inflation and raising rates and the Fed has raised rates recently and likely will continue to raise rates. And there's pretty much a direct correlation between the Fed raising rates and tech stock valuation multiples contracting. So they think that, uh, that the Fed will raise rates and that will cause public market valuations for tech and digital health to pull in, which in turn will trickle down to private market valuations as well. Um, so lead investors have dry powder, um, but are but some are sitting on the sidelines and they think there, and the number I heard is that the NASDAQ may pull in another 30% possibly. So no VC wants to commit and lead around and price and bring their friends in when you could see the NASDAQ pull in another 30% the next month. So they're looking for a sign from the fed that it stopped raising rates. In addition, venture funds are also triaging right now. A lot of you are familiar with this. What triaging means for funds is there's the top tier of portfolio companies that they are in the triage. And in the top tier, these are companies, portfolio companies of venture funds that are going to make it. And so the venture fund here is committing to fund them, possibly going to give them a larger round than expected So instead of giving them 18 months runway, they're thinking of giving them 24 months runway or 36 months runway, that's the top tier. The middle tier is portfolio companies they invested in who if if they helped them a lot now, it would greatly increase the chances that these companies would make it. So this is where a lot of VCs are spending a lot of their time right now, not making new investments in new portfolio companies but on the second tier of triage they are trying to get money fast to existing portfolio companies they are trying to help them with a partnership that they promised them a year or two ago they're trying to help them with uh, a rationalization and cutback plan um and so that's the second tier of triage the third tier of triage is companies that dcs think are their portfolio companies that they think are not going to make it and so for these companies, they've told them they can't expect any more funding from them as a VC. Uh, and they're not spending any, any time on these companies. So that's, so VCs are spending a lot of their time right now working with existing portfolio companies, triaging. They're also, I'm hearing, they're all, they're very often doubting some of their venture investment theses. So VCs have investment theses. They like to invest in companies that come to them that are in those theses, they've they've done the work uh, in those theses, they know in advance their investment committee wants to see uh, new investments that fall under those theses, but now theses are doubting their existing theses, and the reason they're doubting them is they're looking at low public market valuations, and they're saying that the math doesn't work to make a certain kind of return to make a five a 2x return or a 10x return uh, or more, the math isn't working, to make investments in those theses right now, and they don't know when that will turn around. Um, so the next is a very intriguing issue among venture funds, um, which is that some venture funds, by luck, raised new funds in the last uh, three years, and those funds have a lot of dry powder. Which in theory would be very useful for them to have right now. But other funds were coming to the end of their prior funds cycle, um, and they were counting on raising a fund now uh, or in the next year or so. Um, And they're now very uncertain that they're going to be able to raise that next fund because the LPs and institutional investors um, are allocating away from digital health right now, reducing their allocation to digital health. So there are venture firms that have tested the waters for raising a new fund. Um, They're running low on dry powder. They were counting on a new fund to follow on their existing investments and invest in new companies. Um, And they're realizing they may not be able to raise that next fund in the near future. So that's very concerning. And this is often invisible. I call this a hidden weakness of a fund where there are people counting on them to invest in existing portfolio companies They may not be able to. Uh, There are young company CEOs are showing up at their door asking them to make a new investment. They may not be able to. Um, So uh, so some funds are facing that dilemma. Um, In addition, um, uh, if there are now venture funds that are not going to be able to make follow-on investments they were counting on making, that means that there's also portfolio companies that may or may not know that their existing investors they were counting on to participate on a pro rata basis in future rounds may not be able to. So in a in a digital health sector that has six, six well-funded venture-backed companies that are competing with each other, um, you may have uh, a few that are backed by uh, venture funds where um, they may or may not know it yet, but those funds are not going to be able to continue to invest in them. In a in a challenging fundraising environment that makes them in theory in a that puts them at a competitive weakness um, uh, so you've got venture funds uh, and they're also thinking that they're saving their dry powder so even if they're in a in a positive position in a good position relative to other venture funds in the current situation they they look at their existing portfolio companies and they say i may want to give that company a longer runway i may want to put some more of of my dry powder to work with existing portfolio companies. Um, uh, I may want to give them a two or three year runway. So they kind of pencil in an allocation of more of that dry powder to those existing portfolio companies. And then they look at the syndicate behind each of their portfolio companies. And they realize there might be some hidden weakness in the other investors in that syndicate investors. They could have counted to, to, invest in the next round, who they may not be able to count on investing in that next round. And so now they're looking at their dry powder and they're they're thinking of allocating an even greater amount of the dry powder to existing portfolio companies. Um, And in addition, I've also heard of at least one venture fund that made a capital call, its second capital call uh, to its LPs. um, And they found that one key LP simply wasn't responding uh, to to their outreach. Um, and, uh, you know, because LPs may find themselves in a situation where the, where they wish they had less exposure um, to a sector. Uh, and so this is creating compounding uncertainties for uh, those VCs. And this has all sort of hit them in the last four quarters or so. Um, so now, intriguingly, the nature of venture funds is that You have a fund life cycle of maybe eight years. Um, You have to you raise money. You have to put that money to work. Um, And uh, uh, if you don't put the money to work, then you can't. You have to return it. You can't charge fees on it. And then you don't have a good track record to raise a next fund down the road. And so you have uh, venture investors with dry powder who are who are some of them are standing on the sidelines. Lead investors not leading, um, but they're probably going to want to put this money to work, um, and so once you know the starting buzzer finally goes off again, once they find the bottom of valuations, once uh, venture investors start returning to invest, we may see them uh, put the money put a lot of that money to work very rapidly. We may see them increase the pace of investments and increase round size as well. So that's what's going on with with, with digital health venture funds right now. So the next phase is I want to talk about the options available to young company leaders, to CEOs. Um, and here, the first option for CEOs is belt tightening, and uh, digital health CEOs know about this and have been doing this for for quite a while. The sort of the message went out to do this five quarters ago. And most digital health companies have already been through some sort of belt tightening. Um, and they've been hearing messages from their board, from investors that go something like this. Um, your most recent fundraise may be your last fundraise. Um, uh, or make your, la- make your most recent fundraise last for two years or for three years to get through uh, to the end of a recession. Um, or get to cash flow break even in 12 months or less. Or stop spending for growth, um, or drop projects that you can't turn cash flow positive in less than twelve months. Um, so, uh, digital health CEOs have been have been hearing these messages and have been responding uh, appropriately for the last twelve months. Um, so, but what about beyond belt tightening? So the next is is to raise a new round in the current environment, and this is happening, but at a reduced rate. Uh, as compared to the past, um, and I think that the key here is that you need to be thinking about investors who are still active and still have dry powder. Um, uh, uh, so as to you know, so as to be able to understand better also investors who uh, it's not transparent, but they're not active, and and to spend your time with the ones who are active and still have dry powder. The next is I think that that. CEOs should also be reaching out to more investors and sooner. So ideally they should be trying to connect with investors, show strength to investors um, before they really need those investors um, as well. So, and then increase the number uh, of of investors that they would go out to. Um, So that's the next option is raising a new round. The next is turning to your existing syndicate members. So I think all CEOs should be having conversations with, you know, every member of their board and every, every investor, uh, and just getting a sense. Are they ready? You know, what, what, um, uh, you know, be, uh, be as transparent as you can with them and try to get a sense of whether you, you know, of can you turn to, um, your existing investors, um, for the money that you need. So the next option for CEOs is corporate venture funds. Um, so corporate venture funds are interesting for a number of reasons. And I th- and what I'm seeing is that corporate venture funds are remaining active and there's an interesting opportunity for them to step up to lead an investment. So corporate venture funds tend to have no fund structure. They have a very different calculus about making an investment. Usually investment is influenced by having um, a strong sponsor within the big enterprise who you're creating value for and you're important to that sponsor's career uh, and for them to sort of pull for you with the venture fund. Um, and, um, uh, and corporate venture funds, their ability to have dry powder um, may be related to how well the company and sector is doing. So let's do an around the world of corporate venture funds and digital health and how their sectors are doing. So in biopharma, the biopharma sector is doing great right now. It's feeling rich and spendy. And so corporate venture funds associated with biopharma, like maybe Merck Global Health Innovation Fund, I would expect them to, to continue to invest and not to be as affected by the current environment as, uh, as financial venture funds. Um, then there's corporate venture funds of the provider sector, so here, providers right now are feeling very poor. Uh, they're feeling their margins squeezed, um, and so uh, I don't, you know, I, I I think that there's headwinds in the provider sector, and this is this signals that there's, you know, that there's that um, provider venture funds, you know, may be facing some issues with getting money from provi- from providers to continue to invest as actively. Then there's payers and payers are about the same in terms. So payers are, are feeling moderately, um, uh, you know, successful and well right now. And so I don't, and this is funds like Optum Ventures and, and, um, you know, they're not feeling as rich and spendy as biopharma. Um, but payers are, uh, are, are doing moderately well in the current environment. Um, so now corporate venture funds famously, They don't like to lead. So you're back to square one if you need to lead investment. However, usually what corporate venture funds will say is the following. They'll say, you know, um, we, you know, we, uh, we love to follow some top lead investors. We typically don't like to lead ourselves. um, And that's because we're not expert on pricing deals. You know, we leave that up to other people. Um, and so we look for you to get a lead investor, and we'll follow. Um, but we will lead in special circumstances. And so now is the special circumstance. now is the time to go to if you you know um, have been talking to a corporate venture fund, uh, if you sell to a large enterprise in healthcare, if you have a good sponsor in that large enterprise, now is the time um, to to activate them. and I have seen a couple deals where you know, a, a company wanted to raise a large round and they wound up raising a small round um, with the corporate venture fund as the lead. And today that looks strong in today's fundraising marketplace, whereas just a year ago or 18 months ago, that would have looked, that would have been more unusual, would have looked weaker. But today getting a corporate venture fund to decide to lead a round where they're the only uh, investor, uh, it looks like you're getting the deal done uh, in today's environment and it is possible. So, now the next the next option for CEOs is family offices. So since the global financial crisis in two thousand eight to nine, we've seen family offices want to they also uh, want to have allocate into growth sectors and they want to invest in private companies. Um, family offices are very heterogeneous groups, so it's hard to make generalizations about them. Um, but they have historically been very eager to invest in digital health companies. And for the family office, their bet is that they invest in a, you know, a private market company that's relatively illiquid and is trading at a relatively low multiple. And, and then that company eventually is acquired or goes public. And when it goes public, it becomes more liquid. It trades at a higher valuation multiple, and that's where they get their kicker from. Um, and so, but with family offices, I I I think we're going to see family offices behave relatively conservatively um uh in the current environment uh, uh and uh, they're not going to pick up any slack left behind by uh by financial venture funds. So with family offices right now um they're having a bad year. Uh they were invested in the Nasdaq in general and that, that and that pulled in 50% um and they're also seeing to the extent that, that they have dry powder to put to work, um, they are seeing public companies trading at a big sale. They're seeing public companies 50% off for Amazon or for other companies. Uh, and so that that's looking like a more attractive deal um, for them. Uh, and they're also concerned about what I'm calling a valuation overhang with private companies, which is private companies that raised money at very high valuations um, not so long ago, Six months ago, a year ago, um, and they might, they might know the company. They might be open to investing in the company, but they have a perception that that private company is going to stay, is going to insist on maintaining a high pre-money valuation. And that's just a fight that family offices don't want to have when they can invest in NASDAQ companies that are on sale right now. So, um, so that, that's what I'm hearing from family offices. Um, the next option for digital health CEOs is consolidators being acquired by an industry consolidator. So the w- here's, here's a way to think about that. So historically in digital health, we've seen incredible entry of new companies, startups uh, or companies in adjacent sectors entering digital health. And we've seen a modest amount of consolidation over the last 10 years in digital health. Um, and then in 2021, we saw a huge spike in consolidation, which, which was great and which had been predicted by many people. But then in 2022, we saw it return back down to the former modest pace. And so with consolidation, so that, that, that trend of 2021 of a spike in consolidation, uh, that was not sustained in 2022. And so I think preliminarily for 2023, I think we'll see, you know, levels consistent with 2022, which is to say modest consolidation, but I don't, I'm not seeing us return to 2021 levels, unfortunately, because I think a lot of CEOs would like to see, you know, an, an irrationally high level of activity and consolidation right now. So consolidators are also concerned about a valuation overhang, which is private digital health companies that raised money recently at high valuations, wanting to stick to their high valuations. Um, In addition, it's useful to think of consolidators with two tiers of consolidators. There's the mid-tier and the large tier. So mid-tier consolidators can be fast-growing tech companies themselves. Often they're public, they have that public currency, um, and they may need to do a financing to make an acquisition. So this is like Teladoc buying Livongo, for example. Um, uh, and these mid-tier consolidators, they may also themselves be earnings negative or they may be just recently turned earnings positive. Um, those are mid-tier consolidators. Then there's large-tier consolidators. So that that's like Oracle buying Cerner, for example. So Oracle, mature Slow, low top line growth, huge piles of cash, doesn't need to go to outside investors to make an acquisition. Um, uh, and so when thinking of mid tier and large tier, uh, acquirers, I think mid tier consolidators are going to be cautious in the current environment. So, um, they have seen their, their, in their formerly inflated stock currency pull in. So they no longer have a currency trading at an extremely high valuation multiple. Um, They may be earnings negative, or they may have only turned earnings positive recently. They themselves are being valued based on earnings as opposed to based on top-line growth. Uh, And so they're going to be cautious about possibly acquiring a young company that is itself earnings negative. And they're going to have to go to an outside to get outside financing to make the deal happen uh and those investors are going to be cautious about that deal as well where a mid tier consolidator acquires an earnings negative um company so then large tier consolidators this is like oracle acquiring sterner these guys are in a great position right now um uh, they can use their their piles of cash to make selective acquisitions I, I think they will continue to acquire um i think there's they're facing the the valuation overhang issue that I mentioned, um, but I think that they'll they'll leverage they'll use their leverage that they have um, to be selective and to make acquisitions that are smart for them. Uh, but I don't think they're going to dramatically step up their acquisitions in in today's market. I'll let you guys know if we start to see that. That would be great to see. So and th- there's so the next option for. CEOs is private equity. So there's been something funny going on with digital health CEOs and private equity investors, um, which is that many digital health CEOs have gotten inbound calls from mid level executives at private equity funds uh, and uh, uh, saying they want to talk to them, saying that they could realistically invest um, saying they, you know, that they, they are eager and excited to, to start the process of, of looking at the company to make an investment. And so digital health CEOs are wondering what's going on here. They, they tend to know, uh, the, the leading venture funds. So these are companies. Let's, let's say we're talking about series A and B companies, um, post series A and post series B companies in digital health. Um, and, uh, they tend to see themselves as, Falling under the venture funding category, not the private equity funding bucket, Um, but they're getting inbound calls from private equity, and in general, they usually don't know the name of the of the investor. They don't know the name of the fund who's calling them. What should they think about this? I've heard from about ten CEOs who've gotten these eager inbound calls, and of that, one private equity fund has made an investment, and the other in the other nine cases, they talked to them, they had meetings. Uh, They may have let them in their data room, um, and then uh, the, the private equity fund didn't make an investment. So what's going on here, and are private equity funds a good option for digital health CEOs in today's fundraising environment? Well, in general, I think there could be some special situations where a private equity fund would work, but I'm not seeing this be a great resource for CEOs right now. So what's going on? Um, I've heard a number of explanations for this behavior, which has been happening for the last two years, but wasn't happening before that in general. So here this is what I'm hearing. First of all, the private equity sector has raised an enormous amount of money, um, and their deals are extremely competitive. And so one of the things they're doing is they're experimenting. And so some digital health CEOs have been sort of part of experiments that, that, that use up their time, but that didn't work out. So they're often experimenting by looking – private equity funds are experimenting by looking at bigger, later-stage deals and smaller, earlier-stage deals. Um, and they're, they're sort of doing that work to see if if, they're, if they like those companies, if they're ready for those companies. So that's, that's one of the um, things that's happening there. Uh, and in general, these private equity investors are, are uh, choosing not to uh, invest after all – in true venture opportunities, um, so the next is is there's also buying deal flow. So um, by the way, in general, private equity investors have historically wanted to see about ten million in recurring re- in annual recurring revenue, um, and also a few million in EBITDA, in positive ebitda as well. And so, most digital health companies that are say it's at, at post Series A don't have that, um, but uh, digital health companies could be growing top line at 50% or 100%. And so if they have 5 million in revenue today, um, they could get up to the $10 million bar quite rapidly. And if a private equity fund actually invests, uh, at a venture stage, well, uh, it's a small, it, th- that tends to be a relatively small amount of money compared to the size of their fund for them. And it puts them in a, in a position to beat out competitors when after a year or two, the digital health company is now big enough for a private equity investment. So that's another thing that's happening there. I've also heard some, some cynical explanations of what's going on. For example, that the private equity fund may have decided to make an investment in your sector and you're not it. And so they, they have identified who they're going to invest in or they have made that investment already. Um, and now they're, uh, they're, looking at possible roll-up candidates um, or gathering competitive intelligence uh, on uh, competitors to the company that they are planning to invest in. Um, and so, and I've, I've even heard, you know, um, explanations from, from some CEOs that they think that these mid-level executives of private equity funds have quotas of calls they have to make to CEOs. That they report on to, to, um, to, you know, to their bosses at their firm and that, you know, they're, You know, there seems to be a low chance that this classic private equity fund is actually going to make an investment in a venture stage firm. And they're just, um, you know, making calls to make calls. So that's the story on private equity. I'm going to keep watching that and I'll, I'll, I'll keep you guys updated on what I'm seeing there. So the, the next category is venture debt. Is venture debt a great option for CEOs of digital health companies? Well, here, venture debt firms are, are, Doing well. They're acting a little more cautiously in today's environment and they tend to look to make their, um, uh, you know, to make their debt investment in digital health companies that are already raising an equity round and who have outstanding world class VC backers. That tends to be what they think about it. So for, for digital health CEOs, if, if that's If, if you're in that lucky scenario where you're raising, where you are successfully raising a new round and you have outstanding venture funds backing you, venture debt can be an option. But, uh, for people who are stuck in a trap right now that lead investors aren't leading, uh, venture debt's probably not a great option for those people. So the next is high net worth individuals. So, um, this is a very heterogeneous group. Uh, but certainly some of them will be behaving, you know, in an opportunistic way, which is good for you, um, or in as if they're relatively unaffected by the modern environment. Others will be feeling poorer and will be cutting back their activities. But if you're lucky because maybe you were spun out of a lab at Harvard Medical School and that there's been a couple billionaires who have been hovering around that lab for 10 years, you know, now's a great time to go out and ask the and ask them to bridge you guys and ask them you know tell them it's it's special circumstances and you just need to get through to when the the funding market gets better um and this this would be a great time to act on that um the next option for CEOs is grants so from what i'm hearing you know the grants market has not been contracting with it has not been uh, getting more conservative it's 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 going just fine um and so if you're a company that has historically gotten grants or in a sector that has historically won grants, uh, grants can be an option. Um, the trouble with grants is that they tend to take a lot of time of the senior executives of a company, and then they put you in a position of working to complete grants as opposed to working to build a product for paying customers. Other than that, though, grants you know can be an option in this environment. Um, and so then the last option that I looked into is what I'm going to call the pivot to services, or the pivot to tech-enabled services. So this is a really interesting option. Most digital health companies are software companies that are selling software into the big budgets of healthcare, um, and but they're not. Most you know, there's over seven hundred digital health companies. Most are not care companies. Most are not selling care. Um, but intriguingly, in in today's environment. There's a better investor environment for services and tech enabled services than ever before. And some digital health companies are able to figure out how to pivot to tech enabled services. So in general, digital health software companies sell subscriptions or licenses to software and they spend, they raise a large amount of financing and they spend it on building a product completely and then selling the product. That's very expensive. And when they, achieve success, they now have a product that scales rapidly nationally and has high margins. Those are the characteristics of a software company. But with a tech-enabled services, co- and, and for this, you need to raise a lot of money in advance and you go for years in an earnings-negative state. With services, what's different about services is very often your potential for top-line growth is lower, your margins are lower, inve- investors don't like that. Um, but you can often get to profitability right away. Um, uh, And so uh, some companies are pivoting to tech enabled services. So for example, you may have a company that is building a software product in, let's say mental health, and they have a clinic and this clinic is the source of their IP for their software product. Um, And, uh, they were spending cash at a high rate to build a software product and then sell that software product, but they're looking at all the factors and they're deciding to pivot to work to make their company a tech-enabled services company because they can they can stop the burn associated with building software, um, uh, and uh, they can get through. They're looking they're saying we need to get through a two-year tunnel uh, and get to revenue faster with a pivot to services. And invest in growing the services we already offer. So, intriguingly, you know, in in different um, areas like in um, healthcare services and pharmacy and other areas, I'm seeing companies pivot to tech-enabled services as a way to deal with um, uh, the problem of of not being able to raise a next round of funding. Um, there are also venture funds who have chosen to specialize in tech-enabled services and like tech-enabled services uh, companies. So uh, they're someone that that you can go to if you uh, if you can achieve this pivot. So now the, the next. So now uh, a bit on outlook. So, so those are the options available to young to young company CEOs for raising money. Um. I've also heard CEOs complain that there's there seems to be a growing misalignment between CEOs and their boards on the issue of down rounds. So very often a CEO will hear from a board member or an investor, um, you know, to make their current funding last for two years, which also means you know don't do another round that could be a, da- a funding that could be a down round, or don't be acquired. Um, at a down round price during those two years, um, but CEOs may they they may feel like they need to um, to act. They need to. They'll be out competed by their competitors if they're not spending money at a higher rate. They may feel a need to raise money. And when they if they succeed and if they can raise money, oftentimes the CEO and top management in the case of a down round, will get topped up in terms of their share participation and incentive compensation in the company with stock options. Um, but board members and investors, uh, if they if a company that they're responsible for has a down round, um, then they don't get topped up with stock options. And in addition, if they are trying to raise a next fund, that high last round valuation of the portfolio company looks good as they try to raise that next fund. But if they allow a down round to happen, um, then their track record looks worse as they go out to try to raise the next fund. Um, so there's a growing misalignment between CEOs and boards about taking a down round associated with a fundraise or an acquisition. So in terms of an outlook uh, for the future, um, uh, A number of venture funds that have dry powder are sitting on the sidelines and they're basically waiting for the Fed to stop raising rates. So I looked to some Wall Street economists as to how this might play out. And here is one scenario that I saw some Wall Street economists predicting. They're saying that the Fed will raise rates a few more times. And at a certain point, and, and, and we may see this help with inflation. we were looking for the Fed to succeed in bringing the CPI down. And when the Fed does this, at a certain point, the Fed may signal, and this may be in, say, Q2 or Q3, the Fed may signal that it is done raising rates. Um, and this, by the way, is its own industry on Wall Street is predicting what the Fed will do. But if we do see the Fed be somewhat successful in reducing inflation, then the Fed may... Signal that it stopped raising rates, and if that's the case, if that happens in Q two or Q three, um, then uh, that will signal that we found the bottom of the current, um, you know, bearish valuation cycle, uh, and re- valuations will probably pop as a result because it would signal that the Fed's no longer tightening, um, and uh, uh, and that would be the signal that we that we found that we we have certainty around valuation we found where the bottom was and the signal for venture investors to jump back in um so uh, and uh you'll have a situation where funds have life cycles and venture investors have just some of them with dry powder have just sat on the sidelines for um for four quarters or maybe more than four quarters um and so we may see them put to money to work at a faster pace uh, than before because they are uh, they want to be able to charge fees on this money. They want to be able to put the money to work so they can have a track record to go raise the next fund after this. And so um, uh, once we see the, the Fed stop tightening, this may be the signal for funds to begin investing at an even higher pace than before. Um, Another prediction, I, you know, Rock Health released a valuable report on fundraising in digital health recently, um, their f- uh, fourth quarter of last year report, uh, and as they put it, strong horses will beat out unicorns. That was one, part of their outlook, which I agree with. So what they mean by that is that unicorns tended to be um, companies with great ambitions, not a lot of solid milestones along the way. Possibly a, a high top line growth rate while they're doing a lot of spending for growth. Um, uh, and they're not, you know, being very careful to have good customers and weed out bad customers. They're not being very careful to ensure that they will have great margins after they stop spending for growth. They're operating under a land rush mentality and they're trying to get big fast. And capital was easy to. Raise and so they were spending that on growth. That's that's part of the unicorn story, and Rock Health is contrasting that with strong horses. So a strong horse is a company with a very solid business model that uh, uh, that you know um, can show it has is providing a lot of value to excellent customers who are paying a full price um, that will leave the company with high margins um, uh, and those are companies that will um uh you know will attract the attention of investors more than a unicorn at a high at a high valuation which is what what attracted investors back in 2021 um so uh, when funds return to investing we could also see them want to retreat to quality and retreat to later stage opportunities um and we may see them put down super rounds on companies. So you may, we may see venture funds have to put their money to work. They look at their existing portfolio. They pick a company that they, that is a winner and they want to make and ensure is a winner. And they put sort of super rounds on those companies. Um, and so those companies can now, uh, behave like a very fully richly funded company. In a competitive marketplace of software companies selling into healthcare, where their competitors um, are cutting back and can't, and so for example, you may have a subsector of digital health where um, several companies are competing, uh, and they are cutting back on sales. They're cutting back on on uh, uh, on generous terms to buyers, um, and so a company that a vendor a software vendor in this environment who gets a super round from its vcs is now able to poach sales reps from the other companies in the sector um, and uh is able to uh, offer uh, attractive purchasing terms um that shift some of the risk onto their own balance sheet to the to their software buyers um so we may see some of that as well um, and we're also seeing investors, you know, CEOs are very familiar with this, but investors are putting back tougher terms into term sheets, such as, uh, term, uh, as participating preferred at 1x or 2x, um, also terms that wash out prior investors, um, who are not contributing their pro rata share on the current round. So, um, uh, we're seeing that as well. So with that, um, uh, if any of you um want to hit the call in button you can join the list of of callers for the call um and uh, uh and then i'll start picking people who can join our conversation So let's see. So um, it looks like so far um, no one's raising their hand to join with questions. So if that's the case, aha, uh-huh. um, we may have some people joining to ask questions. Um, and uh, So I see Anne de Geist, uh has uh, joined the caller queue. So here goes. Hey Anne, Steve you, Wardell um, Thanks for joining.
1: Steven, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, I, I think one of the challenge I see uh, in this adjustment to the new world we live in is that a lot of the entrepreneurs thought that 2021 was the normal. And you no know, board oversights, high valuation, doing one save after another. What we see on our side is that some people are able to adjust and correct to what should have always been, which is twenty nineteen environment there. But a lot of people still have are in denials because they compare themselves to other that were published. So I'm kind of curious how can we help entrepreneurs realize that twenty twenty one was really the was really not normal? <laughs> and I think you can help with that.
0: Thank you. Yeah, so that's part of what I'm doing here. I, I I really appreciate your call, and I think I sensed that at the health conference in Las Vegas in November. I, I kind of sensed uh, from some conversations that people were saying, "Well, you know, we're we're seeing um, that, you know big austerity in tech, but digital health is is protected, and so it hasn't hit us here, and it's not gonna hit us here." And I think that perhaps the, you know, a message that I'm, a prediction I'm making, a view I'm holding is that what's happened in tech is happening in digital health and will continue to happen in digital health. Uh, And we may see an environment where, um, uh, you know, continued inflation, not at eight to 9%, but maybe at, say, 5% and continued interest rates at 5%, uh, risk-free rate at 5% are going to um, continue to you know, mean we're going to have a, a new lower level of overall capital investment in digital health, which will, which will be more conservative and careful. Um, uh, and, you know, we, we may see that for, for some time. Um, but, and one, one way you could help actually is, uh, you know, any tips that you could give to CEOs? What, what do you tell your own portfolio company CEOs about, um, you know, maybe, you know, uh, tips on steps to take, like kill kill projects that don't meet certain criteria um, or just the, the sense of urgency uh, about it? You know, what What have you, in situations like this, what have you told the companies that you've invested in, in the past?
1: Yeah, I mean, good question. I mean, we're telling everybody is that the days of you just ask money whenever you want to is over. You know, you have to really go into how do they risk the company? And so really looking And what are the key milestones you have to get to the next group of investors? And that's typically in health tech, decreasing the risk on the business model side, you know, getting some market traction. If you're a bit more med tech, health tech there, there may be some issue on product validation, maybe FDA clinical trials. Uh, But most people really don't understand that their business between the C to series A, which the gap has expanded, but it takes to get a series A is very different than what it was a year ago, is to really focusing on, You know, what are the risks you have to basically decrease in the next 12 to 18 months? And therefore, what's the funding and the title investor you need today to get you there? Uh, So I think it's a very different type of way of looking at the milestones and be extremely
0: focused. That's great. Thank you. Um, And so what I'm going to do right now, I see that we are at the top of the hour. And so this call is officially uh, an hour long. Um, but we actually have something at the end of the hour that I call the bar. Uh, and so, for those of you who are in a work environment who have an hour for this call, uh, you know now's a good time uh, to drop off uh, and thank you for coming. Um, uh, and uh, but for those of you who feel like staying and you know uh, and want to learn more, um, by all means, uh, you know we'll uh, we're now moving into what I call you know stop by the bar. We're now in the bar part of the conversation. Um, so thank you. Um, and then uh, let's see. Um, uh, and anyone else want to hit the, the call in uh, button to join the conversation? So, and do you have any thoughts? I'm I'm putting out a view that we may see the Fed simply stop raising rates, and that that will be that means we've found, reached the bottom of tech valuations, and that is the signal that we have more certainty now. It's the resolution of an uncertainty. Uh, and that you know uh, you can. There's a number of different Wall Street economists making predictions on this, but that this could be in a quarter or two, and that could be the signal for venture investors to pick up the pace. What what do you think of that? Or do, do, I mean, th- there well, are so that's
1: that's, that's a bit of a crystal ball. I mean, my experience is the stock market typically move six months ahead of the of the economy. So there's a huge anticipation. But usually the venture industry is a bit more delayed. Um, so you may see the stock market going up before you see venture investor feeling comfortable to start taking a little bit more risk. Right now I see a lot of people moving to higher ground, like the A's and the B's and the new A's, like $5 million in sales where it used to be a million annual rate of return. So, uh, so, So I think you're gonna see the economy stabilizing, uh, inflation is still under pressure. So, you know, it's been unclear if it's going to stabilize right away there. But I think the, the venture industry is going to be slow reacting to the change of the stock market.
0: And but that's what the about, all, you know that. <laughs> and, and so, and what about this idea of venture funds having dry powder, but definitely cutting back in the amount of money they put to work uh, in the last five quarters, say, um, but then they they have to put it to work? Eventually, they have a fund life cycle of maybe have, eight to 10 years.
1: Remember, when they get a $100 million commitment for their fund, they only get, let's say, uh, the first call of 25 millions and then they have to basically do calls. And I'm hearing that several LPs are totally over allocated in illiquid assets, which is typically 5 to 10% of their holdings. And because the stock market went down the denominator went down and so they over allocate right now in venture on so yes they have the commitment there but that doesn't mean they have the cash to deploy so some people are being told to slow down in their in 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 their deployment there Uh, so it really depends how much money they really have in cash to deploy so i think i think we're talking six to nine months where people are going to try to see which way it goes europe by the way is worse than here
0: Mm -hmm. so Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm also hearing that, that, um, I've heard, uh, that a VC made a capital call and heard nothing back from an LP. And, uh, I also heard a VC made a capital call and got a, got a friendly, um, you know, informal chat with an LP that was like, well, why don't you just take it slow? Uh, for
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, you um, know, remember these, these people have all these ratios and everything is out of whack. I mean, if you stuck investment, which is mostly tech, went down by 30%, and maybe you went back up a little bit to 20, 25%, and you're supposed to have 5% of venture uh, investment there, you're you're way over allocated. And so, uh, so I think you're going to see that, yes, the commitment is there. The long-term, the industry is good. But I think in the short term, you know, we uh, I think people are gonna wait and see that still a little bit there. And then there's a correction, you know, on MedTech, a third of the funding last year had downrun. Health tech is not there yet, but I think there's gonna be a big shake up. You're gonna see a lot of M A's, people no longer like, supporting the company. So we see a lot of those, you know, like a triage of the portfolio happening.
0: Um do, do you think there's going to be so there's over seven hundred digital health companies and many of them raised money in the last eighteen months at 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 or call it the last twenty four months at at high valuations. And so that's created an overhang of uh you know, of, of companies that are gonna have to do a down round if they raise an the ex that they need to raise money and they're gonna have to do a down round if they do raise money. Um is that gonna be a big issue at the board level, do you think? Is it gonna be a point? Level. Yeah. I
1: mean, I mean, what you're going to see happening is that it depends who you're selling to. So if you're selling to the providers, the selling cycle have gone up, which is hard to believe It <laughs> could be worse than it used to be. And that's because a lot of these hospitals are now being downgraded in their own credit. You know, they lost a lot of money during COVID there. So unless you have something that's really have a huge cost impact and it's validated, it's really hard to sell to providers you know uh, payers are still slow i mean medicare advantage is probably the earliest adopters right now uh, as far as any solutions there but you have to show engagement or in, you know and do pilots so that's still a good 12 to 18 month cycle before you see enough revenue so i think a lot of those companies are going to get a hard time growing into their valuation and that's where as a ceo uh, all you get you insiders to do a bridge which a lot of people are doing right now but people are running out of cash uh, in the existing investors Oh, you have to really be targeted in the risk you have to decrease. Really be aware of your business models and and how you prove it scalable.
0: So one thing I've heard from, from thank you. Uh, so one thing I've heard from VCs is they're saying, you know, um, you know, VCs will always say, you know, if if the right investment comes along, we will make, we'll, we'll make that investment. Of course. And, then, and then they'll say, <laughs> and then they'll say um, you know, Companies with with tight and hard revenue models are in a good position, and companies with squishy revenue models are in a bad position. So, what you've been in health tech for a while, there definitely have been health tech companies with squishy revenue models. What, what do VCs mean by this? What you know what uh, what's a what is a strong revenue model? What's a weak revenue model um, for two yeah, companies? And, in and, sales.
1: Unfortunately, I have a call, so I'm going to do a quick answers, and I'd love to be set up another time with the group there if I can be of help. Uh, but pretty much uh, the, the big risk in health tech is the business models, and you see a lot of people experimenting. If you look at Omada Health, for example, which is well-known, they first start selling to the employer, the self-insured employers. Then they collect enough data, and they were able to sell to the payers, and now they just announced a deal with Intermountain Health to basically um, – Uh, start doing at-risk payers. So you see a lot of the people, depending on the maturity and the type of data that they have collected to validate their value proposition, are able to go after modifying business models. So I think it it all depends to say, you have a business model that's proven that somebody's willing to pay for your product and it's scalable as far as your cost of acquisition, that you just getting a pilot and then it can expand within the payer plans, for example. I mean, it's all of those things is what you need to demonstrate in this environment. This is not the time to start, you know, going into unknown territory.
0: Great. Well, thank you very much, Anne.
1: Thank um, you. And uh, it was a great discussion there. And I'd love to help on the next one if, if needed.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. Um, well, it looks like um, that's you. Um so we're, we'll, now we'll wind down the Q and A. You've been listening to Digital Health Investor Talk. Um, you'll find a list of upcoming investor talk shows at Steven S-T-E-V-E-N-W-A-R-D-E-L-L.eventbrite.com. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter where my handle is at Stephen Wardell. Um, And to get notice of upcoming investor talks, sign up for our MailChimp list, which is in the emails that you've received. Um, And I'll see you next time. Thanks very much.